Sermon this morning is what happened to your passion. We're working through the book of Romans. We're in chapter 12. We're drilling down on a few verses in this little section. We'll, we'll, we'll pick up sections and then squeeze down where today, as I was reading through and thinking through the, the, the things that Paul raises, even though this is part of a context, I'm going to read verse, uh, verses 1 to 11, but I wanted to stop for a minute and just think about our passion. Just think about our hearts. Just think about where we are in relation to our I guess, joyful, passionate service of Christ. And so we're in Romans 12. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11, but we're going to camp on verse 11. Hear then the word of God. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that the testing that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is the good and the acceptable and the perfect will of God for by grace the grace that has been given to me I say to everyone to all of you to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And so we, though we are many, we're one body in Christ. And individually we're members of one another. And having gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us, but let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to your faith, if it's service, then in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. But let our love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people to sit at your feet, to hear your word, to give our hearts to you in worship, in prayer, to know you and to love you. And I pray this morning, Father, even as we spend a few minutes unpacking what you are saying to us here, we want to gain more than information. We want the renewal of our minds, the changing of our hearts, the filling of your spirit, that we may follow you and pursue you with passion and joy. For we ask and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. David Brainerd, missionary to Native Americans, friend of Jonathan Edwards. Brainerd once wrote, Oh, that I might be a flaming fire in the service of the Lord. Oh, that I might be a flaming fire in service to the Lord. How do you hear that? Do you think, good for him? What a neat guy. Or does something stir in you? Does something awaken in you? 
Does something in you say yes? A flaming fire in service to Christ. Yes. Let me change the question. What's your number one passion in life? Now be honest. Football? Work? Some other, some other uh, hobby that you may have? I mean, I know what most Christians would say. I know what most of you would say. I know what I would say. I know what I would want to say. I, I want it to be. I, it should be. And I might even declare that it would be, you know, to know and love and serve Christ. But if we examined our lives, would our actual priorities and commitments, would our, our resources, our time and our money, would they, would they back that up? Would they, would they bear that out? Would it, would it prove the case? Or would it undo me? Would it undo you? Last week we talked about that verse we just read about abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good. And as we move into this text right out of those things, then in this text it is to abhor sloth and to cling to zeal and a fervency of spirit in service to Christ. To abhor sloth. To cling to passion. And so a good question for our souls this morning, and really it's the question being asked in this verse, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. And so the question that arises for us this morning is, am I zealous in my service to Christ? Am I zealous in my service to Christ? Where has all my passion gone? Zeal is placed in verse 11 right there. Zeal is placed opposite of sloth. Do not be slothful in your zeal, but fervent in your spirit. They're, they're placed as opposites. So sloth, it literally means in Greek, really what it means in English for the most part, which is lazy, lethargic, uh, disinclined to action, passive, Right? Do not be slothful. We call it sloth. Often, it's actually one of the seven deadly sins, if you know that list of, of uh, church history and church theology. They had these seven sins that, that, that they put together as, as a, I think, a helpful list. I did a series a number of years ago over the summer on the seven deadly sins. Sloth is that one. It actually has a, a Latin, a seity or something to that effect is the word, and it and it really means spiritual laziness. It's not just laziness in general, though that has its own problems. But it really, it really goes after the, the spiritual oomph or the lack thereof. Our spiritual obedience, our spiritual passion, our, our spiritual life in fervor. So it's more than just missing worship or half-hearted worship. It's more than neglecting personal devotions and being in prayer or in the Bible or in service to God. It's, it's more than all that because what Paul is going at here is the condition of your soul. And that's important because how you seek to solve this problem is that, you know, how you define the problem. And if the problem is simply I'm not doing enough, then you're just going to try to do more. And the problem is not just the level of your activity and what you're doing, but it's the condition of our hearts. 
He's speaking about what's, what's underneath, and he puts his finger on a spiritual battle that goes on for every one of us every day. Scripture's very clear about it, and, and if you think about it a little bit, you'll recognize that it is a battle. It is something that you struggle with probably almost every day. Sloth is a spiritual issue, an indifference, a lack of, of caring. If you wanted Bible words for it, I think it would be half-hearted or less than whole-hearted or lukewarm, right? I wish you weren't lukewarm or I have to spew you out of my mouth, Jesus says at one place. Half-hearted, lukewarm. Charles Spurgeon, one of the great preachers, says there's no disease in the world worse than laziness. That's quite a statement. There's no disease in the world worse than laziness. Lethargic about the things of God. Zeal, then, is the opposite of this, right? It just is to take up the opposite adjectives, right? It's diligence, it's, it's urgency, it's, it's passion, it's, it's activity. It's a spiritual, if you go spiritual, it's an eagerness of heart. It's the words we just said. It's not half-hearted, it's whole-hearted. It's not lukewarm, it's hot. There's a fire. That's why I like Brainerd's statement. I want to be a flaming fire. I don't want to be lukewarm. I want to be on fire. And what Christian wouldn't say if we, I, yes, please. So what we're talking about is a battle for the condition of our hearts, whether, we're on, whether there's a fire in the fireplace or there are just some smoldering ashes. Right? What is the condition of our hearts? Paul describes the battle for the heart in these terms, in terms of the flesh and the spirit, right? That's a, it's, it's a battle that we're familiar with. The flesh, our flesh, which is the gravity that pulls us down, it's, it's us apart from the spirit, it's us not full of the spirit, it's us when we're grieving the spirit, it's us when we're not keeping in step with the spirit, right? The flesh, it's, that, it's us apart from the spirit of God, and the flesh and the spirit are at some two powers that work in our souls, two, two sources of life, and depending on which one that we are feeding on and drawing on, which one we're listening to, which one we're obeying, so to speak. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 5. You're very familiar with it. He says in 5.17, the desires of the flesh, and the word desire there is the word from the Greek that we usually translate as lust. Lust is a Greek word that is not about sexuality. We apply it that way. The word there is why they stick with desire here, but I like to, to tie it to lust because it's a strong desire, right? It's, it's a passion. And so, you know, we think of it in terms of sexuality as often, but it's any. You can lust for power. We know that, right? You can lust for power. You can lust for success. You can lust for fame. You can lust. It's a strong desire. It's something that is driving and powerful within us. And so he says the desires, the, these powerful desires of the flesh in us are against the spirit. And there are similar powerful desires, he said, and the desires of the Spirit. There's a powerful working of the Spirit as well in us that is against the flesh, right? And so there is this dynamic within each one of us that he says, for these are opposed to each other. For anybody here who doesn't feel that opposition, right? This is something that I don't have to prove if you know Jesus and the Spirit is in you. 
because that spirit lusts against our flesh. And we find that every step we take is hounded by the flesh. And so he says that the outcome of this can be if the desires of the flesh are dominant, they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. All of those things, you know, being in worship and being in the Word and being in prayer and being in service to Christ and honoring Him in our marriage and honoring Him in the way that we work and being up and about and doing in a service to His kingdom, all those things we want to do, the flesh resists. That's what He's telling us. There is this going on within us. It resists. Whenever I want to do good, there is this inner resistance. It resists everything spiritual. You have an enemy, a traitor, living in your soul. The Bible calls it the flesh, and it resists everything good. It's against the Spirit and the things of the Spirit. And so it dulls, it can dull spiritual zeal and passion. When Jesus wrote letters to the churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation, there are a couple of the indictments that he brings that are, I think, relevant in this context. And I just pick one in Revelation 2, 4, and 5 when he says, that I have this against you, church? After he said some nice things. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Right? So your, your first love is some translation. What is your first love? It's full of Joy and passion and, and activity and pursuit, right? It's all, it's all those things. And he says, you've abandoned your first love. You've lost it. You've lost that, that loving feeling. Sorry, sorry. You've, you've, lost your, you've lost your passion, right? You've, he says, remember from where you have fallen and repent. And do the works you did at first. Like, go back. What is it that stoked the fires of your passion? What is it that, that, that let you see Jesus as the one who is the lover of your soul and your heart responded in love? What were those things that were in your life that, that gave it life? Repent. Because you've lost. You've become lukewarm. You've lost your passion. And so he's warning his people don't become, you've become slothful in zeal, right? You've grown weak and lukewarm. You've lost your first love. You've fallen. Remember, remember. And so he says, verse 11, don't be slothful in zeal, but rather be fervent in spirit. Be fervent in spirit. Do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be lukewarm in love. Do not... In fact, you should abhor sloth and lukewarmness. You should abhor it, and you should cling to zeal and passion. You should be fervent in wanting it. In this word, fervent, I love the way a lot of these things that the, the Bible writers use, and we do it too, we use, we use things metaphorically you know, to describe, and they make a word picture. And so the word fervent here is literally the word that they would use to describe boiling water or a, a, a spring that was bubbling up from the ground. It's a word that means to boil or to bubble up or to well up. And he's saying, you know, be, be fervent, having well up within you this, in, in your spirit. Be fervent in spirit. Eager, right? We would use it for eagerness, enthusiasm, passion. 
The Spirit's desires are against the flesh. And the influence of the Spirit rises up in the believing heart. He dwells within us. And a lot of the Christian life is figuring out how to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. I'm going to quote that in a minute. In Galatians 5.16, the verse right before the verse I read about the flesh lusting against the Spirit and the Spirit lusting against the flesh, the verse right before that literally says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires, the lusts, the inclinations, the pushing and the resistance of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't live like that. You won't, li- you won't be slothful and disobedient. And a lot of the Christian life is figuring out how to walk in the Spirit, to be in touch with the Spirit of God, to open ourselves up to His presence and His power, to seek that presence and power in our lives, to be fervent, to be boiling up, welling up with Spirit. Do we not want to be God's people in worship? wholehearted, awake, alive, meaning what we say, saying it with passion? Do we not want to be his people with Christ in his word, to be serving him in his kingdom and in his purposes with passion? He says the antidote to spiritual laziness, and I want to say this is one of the side effects of COVID is we've had two years of relative isolation and inactivity, or at least more than normal. And so some folks are trying to have, there, there is a little bit of trouble, kind of like, you know, wake up. The antidote to spiritual laziness is not just doing more. The antidote, he says, to laziness here is fervency of the Spirit. The Spirit who empowers new life. The Spirit who rises up and resists the influences of the flesh, who bubbles up in eagerness, in passion. Samuel Ward, preacher of another day, said, zeal is a spiritual heat that is wrought in the heart of man by the Holy Spirit, improving the good affections, right? stoking to fire that love, that first love that we we tend to lose, that joy which seems to drain away in our service and in our Christian living in our pursuit of Christ in our relationship with Him. It is the Spirit, it is the spiritual heat wrought in our hearts by the Spirit, improving our good affections, love, joy, peace, and patience for the furtherance of God's glory, His Word, His house, His saints, the salvation of souls, spiritual fire, joy, energy, passion, because we love Christ. He's our first love. He's the passion of our life. We all would say it. We all will want it. And so if we walk by the Spirit, then we will not be inclined to the laziness and the sloth that arises from the flesh, but rather we will be full of the desires of the Spirit and the Spirit lusts against the flesh and for all things godly all things of Christ and His kingdom. So walk by the Spirit. He powerfully enables us. He enables us. He fills us. He bubbles up in our life. 
And he's telling us we need to get in touch with our spiritual roots. We need to get in touch with the Spirit. We need to abide in Christ in such a way that we come away full. So I say not just reading the Bible, but being with Christ in, in His Word, hearing Him, loving Him, re- responding to Him, repenting and consecrating ourselves and, and letting it stoke fire in us. So often we read the Scriptures who to gather information and to learn things as opposed to reading it like this. Do we ever stop and say, I want this? And just reading that one verse would lead you to a morning of prayer, of asking God to do this in you, to do what only He can do, which is to give you a fervency of His Spirit to do, to live His life, to do His work in His kingdom, My friends, fervency of spirit overcomes the slothfulness of the flesh. And what he is saying here then is the Christian life is a supernatural life. Don't be slothful in your zeal. You need the Holy Spirit, right? You need a supernatural remedy to your problem, right? Your problem is too entirely human, too entirely natural, too entirely of yourself. Right? The gravity of myself is to be thoughtful, particularly in spiritual things. Right? But the supernatural grace of God is into a new life. It's to do a work in me and through me. Like it, is, it is crucial for you and I this morning to grasp, if you haven't already, to remember, to remember from where we have fallen, to remember that we have no spiritual power in ourselves. Right? That apart from Him, you can do nothing. Apart from Him, you have no fervency of spirit because it is His Spirit that gives fervency. And so apart from Him, we can do nothing. Right? And we need, how desperately we need to be full of the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit who sanctifies us, who transforms us, who renews our minds and fills our hearts and awakens our souls, from the slumber that we often slide into. It's like going to sleep over a period of time. Are we sensible? I like that word. That's a Puritan word. I like that idea. It's a a Jonathan Edwards word, sensible. Do you have a, a sense of it, like with your senses? Do you feel it? Do you smell it? Do you taste it? Do you know it? Firsthand, not do you just think it or believe it, but are you sensible of your weakness apart from the Spirit of Christ? Do you know it? You see the fruits of it, and that should drive us day in and day out to Jesus, who says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Abide in me and and be filled with my spirit. Abide in me and walk in my spirit. Be fervent in my spirit. Only this bubbling up eagerness of spirit overcomes worldly distraction, self-indulgence, and sheer laziness is the spirit of God renewing our minds after the things of God and the kingdom of God, the passions and the desire that drive all of that. Ephesians 6.10, I always... Love these verses. You ever read these verses and just say, I want that. Be strong, not in yourselves, because in yourself you have no spiritual strength. So be strong in the Lord and in the strength and in the power 
of his might. Yes, please. And do you ever read that? And again, not just... But then on your knees, in your hearts, just tearing open your breast and saying, God, I want that strength. I need that strength to love my wife, to be the parent I need to be, to be the man or woman at work that I need to be, to be the student and the friend that I need to be, to, to serve you and your kingdom and your church the way that I need to do. I need, I, I can't do it in my own. You have to come to the end of yourself. This is why Paul says, I, I love it, it it's, it's when we are strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, his spirit rising up in spiritual fervor, that it will be true in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? What a statement. Another one, it's just like, yes, please. Yes, I can do all things through Christ. Right? I can keep on serving, keep on giving, keep on loving, keep on trying and striving, keep on keeping on, because I can do all things, not in my own strength, but in Christ who strengthens me. It's the opposite of sloth. I can do nothing. I don't feel like doing anything. I don't rise up. I don't say yes. I don't say, here am I, send me. Right? I, I don't in myself. It's the opposite of sloth is I can do those things. I will rise up. The context in Philippians 4.13 is Paul's talking about enduring prosperity and poverty, of plenty of want. He's like, I learned the secret of contentment. I can live in these, all these disparate, I can be literally poor, I could be rich. And I can do whatever it is that God calls me to do through Christ who strengthens me. And it applies to the entire Christian life. It goes beyond that. It's saying the Christian life is a supernatural life. That through Christ and the rising of his spirit in us who strengthens us, we can do all things. And it's only this that overcomes our sloth and our laziness and our self-indulgence. Because when our strength and our fervor flow from Christ in the spirit, the psalmist says we will go from strength to strength. As Isaiah 40 puts it, you'll rise up on wings like eagle. On wings of the Spirit, you will run and you will not grow weary. As Nehemiah 8 says it, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And you'll awake from the slumber of sloth to serve your Lord from strength to strength, able and joyful. And so that's Paul's application, really, it's where he's driving, right? It's his point, don't be slothful and zeal, but rather be fervent and, and boiling up, bubbling up with the Spirit and serve your Lord. Right, that's where he's going. Serve Him. The context is the church, isn't it? It's one reason I keep reading it, to give it, keep us in our context. He's been talking about the church. He said, don't be... You know, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice and, and don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. And then he immediately starts talking about the life of the church. Don't be all full of yourself, right? Be more humble in the life of the church. Just as a body, as many parts, we are the body of Christ and we are all parts of it. And God has given you gifts and whatever your gift is, he says, use it. Use it. And he says, and then let your love for each other be genuine. Right? Love each other, really. With all kinds of love. Every kind of love you can think of that's 
appropriate in the life of the church. He says, love one another. And in all of this, don't be slothful. Be passionate in your love and service. Fervent in the Lord in your servants. Zealous for the church. Zealous. The most memorable moment. Jesus is zealous for his church. You, you see that in his letters to the churches and Revelation, you see it in every way, but one of the most memorable angry moments in Jesus' mind is the cleansing of, uh, in, in one of his most angry moments that come to mind is his cleansing of the temple, right? And you remember, you remember what he said? It says that his disciples remembered that it was written of him, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house. There's Jesus' zeal for his house for the place of worship, for where his people gather and give themselves to God. That, that, that place that is the intersection with the world as well. He comes into the court of Gentiles to cleanse it, right? He says, my house will be a house of prayer, right? It will be cleansed of distractions. It will be cleansed of impediments. It will be cleansed of corruption. All of it will be driven out that my house will be a house of prayer, that there'd be a, a spiritual fervency about the things of God, about word and prayer and service. But we need to remember there's no secular and sacred divide. He's not just, Jesus isn't just passionate about our service in church, so to speak. But our service to him, all of life is the theater of his glory. Right? There's not, there's not a, a secular and a sacred and we serve him here and then there's my work out there or my house out there or my, you know, being in the community out there. All of it is a theater of his glory. And when he says serve the Lord, he doesn't mean on Sunday morning for an hour or three times a week, you know, during whatever. He's saying, no, that's who you are. You are. Paul says in Romans 1, verse 1, the very first thing out of his mouth in the book of Romans, the first five words, one, two, three, six words, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Put your name. Sam, servant of Christ. Bill, servant of Christ. Mary, servant of Christ. Robert, a servant of Christ. Right? This is who Paul is. It's not just what he does. He doesn't have a couple of hours, or, you know. No, he's a servant of Christ in his marriage to his I don't know if he was married at that point. But we're to be a servant of Christ in our every vocation, right? In our marriage, in our parenting, a servant of Christ in the way I do it. When I'm at work, I'm a servant of Christ. I represent Christ, an ambassador for Christ. I serve him. I honor him. I do his work how I do my work. Right? Servant of Christ when you're out to lunch. You're a servant of Christ in the way you treat people, the people who serve you. It might even be how you tip. In all these ways that we represent Robert, a servant of Christ in his marriage. I want to be his man at work, his man in public, his man in private. Colossians 3.23, Paul says it this way, whatever you do, work heartily. There should be some zeal and some passion. Why? As for the Lord and not for men. Whether I'm at work or I'm in public or I'm at lunch or I'm in my marriage or wherever it is, whatever you do, he says, work heartily. And actually, right there in the Greek, it's not, the word heart's not there. It actually says, um, ex suche, which is the word for soul. So it actually says, whatever you do, do it from the soul, as for the Lord, right? From the deep places. 
whatever you do. Fervent in spirit, serving your Lord. This is why he he saves and empowers us for this life, for the life I'm describing. It's not, oh, David Brainerd, oh, that missionary, uh, he was a flaming fire, good for him. It's not the life that he has for special certain people. The Catholic Church has categories. There are saints, and then there's the rest of us. The Bible is one category, saints, you, his people. And this is describing the life that he intends for all of us. Not lukewarm and slothful, but zealous and passionate. He says it in Titus 2.14 this way. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and lukewarmness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession and what a people who belong to him in this special way, bought with the precious blood of Christ. What kind of people would they be? People who are zealous for good works, to serve their Lord. Ephesians 2 tenses were his workmanship created in Christ, created in Christ for good works. And good works, theologically, are only those works that come from a right heart. They're the right thing done in the right way from the right motive in the right heart. It's what makes a work good. We just read 1 Peter a moment ago, a people for his own possession. This is a theme in Scripture from the Old Testament to the end of the New. What is God doing in the world? He is creating a people for his own possession, and that's you. And he says again, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. You proclaim his excellently with your lips and your lives, and they need to match. You and I know and experience flesh, the flesh and sin, how it hardens us, how it deadens us. The more we give in to it, the harder we become, the lazier we become, the gravity of self that is constantly pulling us down, constantly saying, resisting, oh, we should be... All these things that come before us that we're called to and placed before us and there's that which in us that resists. Renders us weak and lazy. Not doing the things we want to do, according to Galatians. Not doing the things we want to do. Jesus said in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I remember doing Bible study when I was doing student work, college ministry with InterVarsity, and I would meet with students and study the Scripture together. And I remember one student, it was one of these days that God spoke to me in it and and in the sense of it. And we read this passage and we studied it for a few minutes. And then he said, can we study another passage? I'm really familiar with this one. And I remember at that moment, my heart just going, grinding, like, you know, the gears just didn't shift kind of thing. Like, like something is just described right here. And I, I looked at him and said, is this your experience? Right? Is this your daily walk with the Lord? Is this something that you know? 
Is this something that is just so real in your life and it's so your normal sense that there is a river of life flowing out of your heart that we should just move on to other things? Do we not stop and say yes? And you know, is the point of Bible study is I already know that one, let's study another passage or is it to experience the things described, right? To, to, To have this, the reality of my own soul the boiling fervency of the Holy Spirit, a fountain from which everything else in Romans chapter 12, 13, 14 flows. Everything that he tells us to do, commands us to do and to be. The source of the Christian life is supernatural. Here is the power to take up your cross, to deny yourself daily, and to serve your Lord, which is to follow Christ, to be God's man, to be God's woman, to serve Him all the time and in all places. That whatever we do, we're doing it heartily, using our gifts, loving our spouse, raising our children, doing our work, serving in the life of His church and His kingdom. Let me just ask you this morning, are you striving? Are you rising? Or are you coasting? Are you pressing on? Or are you hanging out? Are you fervent in spirit or are you feeling rather lazy? Christian life is described as a marathon, right? as, a, as a stewardship to be managed, as a fight, as a battle. And so when he says, do not be slothful in your zeal, but be fervent in his spirit, it's the only way of that Christian life to be pursued with joy and power. If you're married in your home, if you're single in your singleness, if you're a student in your education and your student life, whatever you do, whatever you do, Proverbs asks us, how long? How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise? When will you arise from your slumber? Samuel Ward again says, zeal is to the soul as wings to the bird, as wind to the sails. And so we ask ourselves, is the Holy Spirit the wind in my sails? So that I'm driven before Him with fervency, with enthusiasm, with an eagerness, with joy. Do we want it enough to seek it? Do we want it enough to seek Him, to desire it, to pray, to be stirred, to be awakened, to be lifted? James says in 4.2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. And it is often true that we get what we want, and the question is, what do we want and how bad do we want it? And do we skip over these realities in the Scripture, or do we drive us down to our knees to seek the reality in our experience? What do you really want? Oh, that I might be a flaming fire in service to the Lord. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we do confess that apart from you, we can do nothing. We confess that so often we stumble before the influence of the flesh and we grow lazy and lethargic and inactive and uninclined 
For Father, we have read your word and we have sat at your feet and we long to experience what you describe. We long to be awakened. We long to be empowered. We long to be a flaming fire in your service. We long to be a people of passion and a people of joy. We long to be useful instruments in your hand. And Father, lift us, awaken us, stir us, and drive us that we might seek you with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our minds and with all of our strength that we may find you, abide in you, and be full of your spirit and your power. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.